Good evening, everybody, and uh, we're getting ready to go live. We're going to start a new book tonight. I don't know. We may get through the entire book tonight. Some of these books, we take months, but this one we may get through in one night, Obadiah. How many of you knew about the book of Obadiah? <laughs> you, don't want, you want to make sure you read your Bible before you get to heaven because you don't want to be in heaven and sit down beside of Obadiah and him say, what do you think about what the Lord told me? And you say, I didn't even know the Lord told you anything. So we want to study our entire Bible, don't we? So there's only one chapter. Of course, you know how we can uh, run around the whole book and get uh, take our time. But uh, we're going to spend time in Obadiah. Brother Chad over here sent something to me today I want to share with you all before we get started. said, uh, this couple had their pastor and his wife over for dinner. And after dinner was over, they were missing a spoon. And the wife thought the pastor had stolen the spoon. She felt awkward about it, I'm sure. So they had him over, had the pastor and his wife over again almost a year later. And uh, so she really just bothered her bad enough to ask him, said, uh, did you actually, did you steal our spoon the last time you were here? He said, no, I didn't steal your spoon. He said, I put it in your Bible. <laughs> that felt heavy, didn't it? <laughs> she hadn't looked in her Bible in a while, had she? So you want to make sure you read Habakkuk and Obadiah because you may sit beside them at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you want to make sure you don't, you're not lost when they say, uh, what do you think about? So let's pray and we're going to... Go through the book of Obadiah. It's a powerful book, and I, I got quickened. I feel like the Holy Spirit quickened this book to me this week because we were getting ready to transition. So uh, I don't know. I'm trying to discern. We may have a few of these books uh, before the end of the year, before we get into another longer study, make sure that we don't leave things undone. But we want to be led by the Spirit. So... Uh, Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for uh, what this holiday should mean to us in this country. We should all be thankful, not just tomorrow, but we should especially focus in on how good you've been to this nation. Lord, I repent for all of us how this nation has turned away from you in so many ways. But you've certainly blessed us in this country, and we should be thankful for that. We should be thankful every day, but we should set aside some time tomorrow to make sure we recognize that all this has come from you and that we should maybe even repent tomorrow as a group, as a nation, and ask for your forgiveness for not respecting what all you've done and turning away from so much that you've done. Ask you to believe, be with a lot of our folks that are uh, traveling already, Lord, and Watch over them. And most of all, we just want to say thank you, Jesus, for hanging on that cross for us and dying in our place. We give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. And we welcome all of you that have joined us live. We're starting a new book tonight, Obadiah. And on the banner, if you are watching us, you may have seen this banner. If you watch it or pull it up after sometime later, uh, Obadiah is dealing with anti-Semitism. This is one of the earliest anti-Semitic groups here that we read about 
And so Obadiah's name means bondservant of Jehovah. That means somebody, bondservant in the New Testament is explained this way. Somebody who has their freedom. A bondservant is somebody who served out their term for whatever they owed. A lot of times in that culture years ago, if they owed somebody something and they couldn't pay the debt, they would sell themselves into slavery and work for them and even their entire families until they got that debt paid off. But Israel was different than most people who had servants. God had taught Israel to treat their servants like they would their own family. That's how God had instructed Israel to be. So a lot of times somebody would serve out their debt and they would want to stay on because their master had treated them so well, the person they owed the debt to. And so they would take them to the doorpost and drill out uh, their ear and put a symbol that they were now choosing to stay. They no longer owed a debt, but they wanted to continue to be a part of that family and to work on that farm or whatever they were involved in and to just stay there. That's what a bond servant is. Somebody who chose or who chooses to stay in a spot that they have the freedom to leave. And uh, so that's Obadiah. He's chosen to be a bond servant of, Jeho- of Jehovah. He's getting ready to deal with these people. So let me start working my way through here. We'll go a couple other places, at least in the scripture, and want to try and identify what's going on. So here's three things I want you to see. You're going to see anti-Semitism that's going to be dealt with here by God. You're going to see America. You're going to see a picture of America that's turning away from God. And then you're going to see some, some parallels between that church in Revelation, Laodicea. And as I explained to you how these Edomites lived, you'll understand that. So uh, it says, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Now, Edom is the descendants of Esau. <clears throat> now, let me go to my board quickly here. Uh, you have Abram, or Abraham, as we call him, or as we say in Kentucky, Abraham. You have Abraham, and then you have his two sons, or his two grandsons, I should say, Jacob. Uh, well, they were no, uh, there's no grandfather in their culture. So if a, what we call a grandfather would still be called father, right? That's how they lived. So uh, if we were in uh, their culture, my sons would call my dad father, just like they would call me father. They wouldn't distinguish between that. So, but anyway, these are actually uh, Abraham's grandchildren. Esau and Jacob were twins, right? <clears throat> the line of Jacob is the one God chose to send the Messiah through. They became known as the Jews. This line did not. They became known at this time as the Edomites. So, <clears throat> hatred was perpa- uh, uh, perpetrated in Esau. He got mad. He actually... Let me take you back to that story before we go on through here. Jacob and Esau are born, and uh, Esau's born first. Jacob comes out later, right? And the Bible says prophetically that the older will serve the younger. So Esau's the oldest. He's going to wind up coming under the authority of the younger one, which is Jacob, right? And that didn't have nothing to do with grandpa or dad or that was God's way he, he he chooses who he chooses right we we can't argue with that uh and so 
but it's also a picture of salvation. Everything God does is trying to show us his salvation, right? So the oldest man for you and I is this flesh man, right? He's born first. Then the younger man is the one that's been born again, our spirit man. And that's the same design God has for us, right? The older person, which is the flesh, and he has his own desires and wants, is supposed to come under the authority of the younger person, which is the new man or the new birth, right? Born again, being uh, that born again experience. So all that's illustrated here. Later in their life, Esau comes in hungry. Jacob tricks him, deceives him. Uh, and the mom was in on that, but uh, they were trying, they again got in the flesh that was something the uh, grandpa had done, Abraham, right, with Ishmael and Isaac. Well, they got in the flesh and got ahead of God, and we don't fully know how that would have worked out if they hadn't got in front of God. But over, through all the anguish and the price that Jacob had to pay, because he suffered the same fate down the line, he, he gets the birthright. The problem is more than Jacob doing what he did. The bigger problem is with Esau. Because when you get in the New Testament, the Bible says Esau despised his birthright. The word despised right there is not the best choice of words. But it meant that he, he thought he didn't value spiritual things. His natural guy, he was hungry, right? He was, and he said he was about to die, right? I think that's how the scripture, he wasn't about to die. But we've all used that terminology, right? Give me something to eat, I'm about to die. No, you're not. You can fast a while. You can go without food. But that's the flesh, right? And so he wanted a bowl of soup, beans. That's my own way of saying it. Lentils. He wanted some soup, beans, and cornbread. And I know they're about good enough to trade anything for some days. I get it. But he trades his spiritual rights, his spiritual life, for the flesh. That was the biggest problem. Now, understanding that, here comes God's chosen line through Jacob. The Edomites are the offspring. They're the ones. And through all this, this bitterness has just kept spreading. They hate the line of Jacob. They hate Judah. They hate Israel. And uh, even though Esau and Jacob had some uh, forgiveness there, that hatred got in the line and it just kept coming. And so I want to make my first, give you a first thought. These young people out in our streets, even in this country, that hate Israel didn't come up with that on their own. They got that from somewhere. There's been people in this country that have hated Israel for a long time. And that's what happened to these Edomites. They were kind of like the original anti-Semites. Uh, and he says, so he says, thus says the Lord concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, arise and let us rise up against her for battle. So this prophet, he's going to be the first prophet to use the phrase, the day of the Lord, which is an, an end of time phrase, the day of the Lord. Other prophets are going to use it later on. But these Edomites are descendants of Esau and God's got a word for them. All right. Now, I studied this years ago. There are people who believe that the Palestinians have the, the Edomite bloodline in them. Which would make sense when you see what we're going to read here as we go through the scripture. Let me, say, let me say this clearly again. This scripture is right. 
I'm not right. You're not right. This is right. Now, you, can, you and I can be right if we line up with this, but this trumps all of us and anybody else. This trumps any news organization, any world leader. This word trumps any priest or preacher. This is it. This, this is the final say in everything. Not just most things, but everything. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. This book will be the last thing you and I are confronted with before eternity. This is it. So you better know it. And you need, you need to know what God teaches. And you need not be on the wrong side of God. Like a lot of people are in our world today. And then he says, Behold, I make you small among the nations. Speaking to Edom. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Their pride deceived them. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock. Whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart... <clears throat> Who will bring me down to the ground. So pride can be a heart issue, right? It can be spoken out, but it can be this internal condition. Now these guys were up and around Petra. They had a passageway. They charged tribute. If you go back to Genesis, these guys, Israel wanted to pass by. And these were these are kinfolk to some degree, right? And he said, they wouldn't let them. They, uh, they, they said, we'll pay for whatever we use. We won't do nothing. We won't cause you no harm. So they, they hated Israel. They wouldn't even let them pass through. So they charged tribute. The Edomites got rich charging tribute. Right? I don't know if you remember this, but years ago, they, uh, 60 Minutes did a story on a little spot in Ohio, not far across the river, where the police set a trap and they made Buku's money off of all of us foreigners that drove through Ohio. <laughs> and they had a big 60-minute thing where they had basically just set up and pulled over everybody that was from out of town and give them tickets, you know, and write them. And so that's what these guys did, the Edomites. They, they, they got wealthy. They dwelled in these clefts, these canyons. They were secure fortress. Up in these canyons, they were, some of their dwellings were 2,000 feet off the ground. They had three-dimensional houses. They carved steps out of those cliffs. It was amazing what they'd done. They were very smart people. They were very wealthy because of the excess of charging people coming through there. And they were very fortified people. So much so that they got haughty and prideful thinking nothing could happen to them. All right? Hold your spot there and let's go to our first place. Go to Revelation chapter 3. And let me show you something here about uh, Laodicea. And in and, and Revelation chapter 3, listen to this language and see if this doesn't sound like America in some ways. And, and certainly as we go through these Edomites, his, uh, we just read that how arrogant they were. <laughs> said, here's the angel of the church of Laodiceans write. These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Let me say a word, word about that. A lot of people misunderstood that thinking God was saying, I, I, I wish you were evil or good. This in-between stuff's not, that's not what he was saying. God would not wish anybody to be evil. That's not his desire at all. Uh, that you have to go, the whole context of the scripture don't support that. Well, you'll see here, these guys, I'll just explain it here again in a minute. So then because you are lukewarm, that was their problem, neither cold nor hot. He said, I, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich. 
Same kind of language these Edomites had. And have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And, and he says, you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So these uh, Laodiceans made ISAB. He alludes to that on down through here. And, and when you make ISAB, you've got to have hot water and cold water in order to make the gel and the liquid and all that stuff. They had springs around Laodicea, and they got a good idea. At least it sounded like a good idea. Instead of having to get up in those mountains and make this and do all that salve work, they decided to build viaducts and try to bring that water down into the city. What they discovered, you know it, right? The hot water cooled off, and the cool water warmed up, and it wasn't any good for the process. So basically, God's saying... You guys are lukewarm. You're not helping at all. You're not any good for anything, right? So they understood that. God, Jesus always spoke to people and things that they could understand, including us. He said a man went out to sow seed. Some seed fell on stony ground. Remember that? He's very good about making things where we can see. And so they said, we, we, are, we are rich and have need of nothing. He said, but you do not know you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me. Gold refined the fire that you may be rich in white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve. That's what they were noted for among other things that you may see. So when the Lord spoke to them, they could understand even though we got to study a little bit to get the grasp of that. This word was to them originally. They knew what he was talking about. They knew about lukewarm water. They knew how it hurt the process, right? They understood that. So this meant something to them. And we too can glean from that, right? How many people do you know in, our, in your circle that are lukewarm? Right? They're really, really not accomplishing much because they're just lukewarm. He says... He says uh, that the shame is you may anoint your eyes as you may see. As many as I love, he said, I rebuke and chasten. That's interesting, right? Of course, Hebrews tells the same thing. The Lord chastens those whom he loves. So you know you're loved if you're getting chastened. Can I say it like I want to say it? If you get a whooping from the Lord, <laughs> then you know he loves you. He don't whoop those that don't belong to him, right? Uh, he makes that clear in Hebrews. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. So the word overcome is the, uh, the verb form of Nike. It's Nikeo, and it uh, means to overcome. It's the verb form. Now, let's go back to Obadiah. Let me show you. Uh, let's read a little bit more, and I'll take you another spot, place in just a minute. So their, their haughtiness shows up, right? It says, who You say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Verse 4, though you ascend as high as an eagle. And they were way up there. They were very uh, uh, forward culture. Just like I was telling you, the Chaldeans were the same way a few weeks ago from Abraham. They had two-story homes, 12-room homes. They had lavatories inside the house. Had burial, burial tombs under the house. They're very sophisticated cultures made out of brick. Uh, one of the things that bothers me the most about our culture is that we're so haughty thinking we're the smartest people that's ever been. Could you have named all the animals? No, you'd have, you and I would have made a mess out of that. We'd have called a pig a horse and a horse a pig. Well, we know that ain't going to work. 
A horse ain't going to be a pig and a pig ain't a horse. He says, though you ascend as an eagle and through, though you set your nest among the stars from where, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. So the Lord said, you don't care how high you think you are, I can bring you down. And how many nations and peoples have we watched God just bring to the ground overnight? Bring them to the ground. Oh, how Esau shall be searched out. How his hidden treasure... Let me back up. I'm sorry, I went too far. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how will you be cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If great gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau... And he's going back to the father, right? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out. He's calling the whole nation Esau. How his hidden treasure shall be sought after... All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. One of the greatest ways to take a nation down is to infiltrate it with people they think that's on their side. Some of that could be happening in the very country we live in. You remember the, was it the Trojan horse that they sent in, right? It looked like a gift, right? And that's what God said. Now, here's something I want you to think about. Nebuchadnezzar had the same kind of attitude we're reading about here in Obadiah. Uh, same kind of attitude we read about with Laodicea. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and we're going to bring them up here in just a second. The king of Babylon got so haughty and proud. Now, think about this for a minute. God took his sanity. God can take somebody's sanity. You talk about concerning to rebel and get so haughty on God that God just takes your sanity away. And there you are, not more than an animal. You're talking about, at that time, the most prominent man in the world. He forgot who gave him his kingdom. And the Bible says he came out, even though he'd been forewarned, and he came out being prideful again and said, look at this great kingdom I've, I've made, took all the credit for it. And the Bible says he lost his sanity that, that day. And the Bible said he went out and lived in the wilderness like an animal. And his, his nails grew like bird's claws. Then it's God returned. Now you think about that. We're not in control. He is. And he can take our sanity. He can stop photosynthesis. He can send a swarm of hornets and drive a whole nation out. We got to remember, and I know it's hard when you look out there and see how crazy the world is. But we got to remember and remind, and that's why we got to stay in this book, who's in charge? There's a day coming, and I think it's right around the corner. That money and politics and all that stuff's going to be way back yonder. And we're going to be right here dealing with reality. And the only thing that's going to matter someday, it ain't going to matter what state you were in, what country you were in, or what political party you belong to. All that's going to matter is what you've done with this and what I've done with it. That's all that's going to matter. That's the only thing that's going to be left standing. There's not going to be any creeds. There's not going to be American flags flying in, in heaven. The only thing that's going to matter is what this taught us. What it gave us as instruction. 
Now, he, he says, uh, on people, people you think your friends are going to come in, they're going to deceive you. And, and God's going to allow that to happen. He says, Will I? Uh, he says, those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you, none. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom? The wise men, just like I said, he can take their sanity away. And understanding from the mountains of Esau that your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed. Two things I want to say about men in general. We are never closer to the devil uh, than when we walk in pride. When we walk in pride, we are the closest to the image of Satan as we can be when we live in that. The other thing is, if you'll notice, the more we turn away from God, individually, families, countries, whatever, the more bad decisions we make. We can't turn away from God as an individual or a nation, either one, and expect that our decisions are going to be really good decisions. The more we turn away from God, the worse our decisions become. Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be destroyed uh, to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Cut off by the slaughter. For, uh, he says, for violence against your brother Jacob. So they had a relation, they had some level of kinship. Uh, but they were haters of God's line. And he says, uh, For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. You shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive forces, when foreigners entered his gates, and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. And history bears out that the Edomites went in with Babylon and helped ramsack. Their own cousins come in and help carry them away captive. Turned against them. And they were a part of that. And, then, and he goes into that here. He says, when the foreigners enter the gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them, but you should not have gazed on the day of your brother. See, God's cutting it close here. In the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. So God, here comes Babylon in. Edomites, instead of helping resist or at least staying out of it, join in with Babylon. Nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people. So this is God's line that he's bringing down to give us the Messiah. He said, you should not have done that. He said, in the day of their calamity, indeed, you should have not gazed on their affliction. In the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance. They were stealing from Judah, from God's people. He said, you should not have laid a hand on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those of them who escaped. Let me tell you what their cousins are doing to them. The Edomites are helping Babylon. Not only are they helping them get into Jerusalem and take it, but they're stealing stuff for themselves as well. Their own cousins, right? I mean, it hurts deep, don't it? I mean, when, you, when somebody... Stealing, when you, has anybody ever had anything stolen from them besides me? It, you feel violated, don't you? When somebody just comes into your house or 
comes in and just steals from you, right? But then if you find out it's somebody that's close to you, that you probably would have given it to them, right? Something you had, if they'd asked for it, you'd said, yeah, I'll give you that. Just steal. I mean, how does that feel, right? It's a bad feeling. I, I've had to go to a pawn shop and buy my stuff again. That's a bad feeling, right? But Hosea lived through that, right? You read Hosea, his wife was playing the harlot, and God used that whole dynamic there. And finally, he would go get her and bring her home. Finally, the Bible said he went and bought her back. Think about that. That's your wife, and, you, and you're going to pay to bring her back home. I could tell you a funny story. Sister Mary told me it's hilarious, but I, I, I'm afraid it'll take me in the wrong direction. I'll never get back to where I need to be. Maybe after church, I'll tell you. Uh, but uh, he said, so they're stealing. And then, get this, and that's what he's talking about now. The Edomites are out there, and you've seen some of this and probably heard this. Maybe some of you have been around this if you've been in the military. People setting a city on fire and waiting for the people to come out of it that are trying to survive and just killing them as they come out of it. That's what these cousins were doing to their cousins. Stephen can tell you, our, our, our man, main man in Nigeria here where we have our other churches and schools, Stephen can tell you where we've planted our churches and schools that, they, that the Muslims have done that to Christians. They'll set the church on fire, and then when people try to get out, they'll kill them as they come out of the church. And so these Edomites are doing that to their own cousins. They've lined up with the Babylonians. He says, uh, he says, you should not have delivered them. He said, you should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who had escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remain in the day of distress. So it's like, okay, we've, now let's go in the city and find the people that have hid out and let's give them to the enemy too. Can you imagine that? You imagine your uh, own flesh and blood just betraying you like that. That's what they did to Jesus too, right? That's what they did to Jesus. And the Lord told us that, that those kind of things would happen. said, uh, after you cut the ones that were trying to escape off, now you delivered them who remained in the day of distress. People who had tried to hide out, wait till it was over. One of the reasons, if anybody ever read or seen the play over in uh, North Carolina, which my great-grandmother was full-blooded Cherokee, but the Cherokees were driven out of there, and that's what we call the Trail of Tears. I'm sure most of you or a lot of you have Cherokee blood in your family. And they were driven to Oklahoma, and so many of them died. It's just horrendous. But the reason Cherokee, North Carolina is there, and it's a pretty booming town. They've, they've learned how to take lemons and make lemonade over in Cherokee, North Carolina. But the reason they're there is many of them hid out in the cliffs and caves when they were trying to round them all up, and then they came back to life, right? That's what some of these Israelites are doing. They're trying to hide out to where they would be safe. But then, you know, if you're walking down the road, oh, there's one of Esau's uh, people. Let's and Esau's people grabs you and turns you in. They thought they were cousins. They thought, well, these are not Babylonians. These are our flesh and blood. And he says, now, nor, he says, in that day of distress, verse 15, for the day of the Lord upon all nations is near. So now we get a prophetic shot about what's going to come to the rest of the world who's going to be anti-Semitic against God's people. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Think about that. 
Whatever you do is going to be done unto you. And that's a New Testament concept as well. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return. That's where the New Testament's pulling from this. He says, your reprisal shall return upon your own head. And you know, Paul talks about that in Romans, right? He says, for as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion, there shall be a deliverance, and there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. So basically God's saying his people are going to win. Which would include us as believers because we've been grafted into that same tree. Now let's look at a couple of verses here and I'm going to take you another spot. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. So basically he's saying Israel's going to come back to life. And Joseph's house is an interesting part because Joseph had a Gentile bride. So let me, in the Old Testament, you see pictures of Jesus in some of these guys, right? Moses was a great deliverer. Jesus is the greatest deliverer, right? Uh, you see the prophet, prophet Daniel and, and Elijah was a great prophet, but Jesus is the greatest prophet. Uh, Ezekiel was a great priest, but Jesus is the high priest, the most... All of those are pictures or facets of Jesus. The most complete picture in the Old Testament of Jesus is Joseph. He gives us the most complete picture. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers just like Jesus. Joseph was delivered up and sold into slavery for silver. Jesus was delivered up to be crucified and sold for silver. Joseph was between two men in prison. The baker and the butler. Jesus was between two men on the cross on each side. One of those guys in the prison, I forget if it's the baker or the butler. The butler lived maybe and the baker didn't. One of them lived, the other one died. One of those guys on the cross went to heaven, the other one did not. Joseph was resurrected out of prison. Jesus was resurrected out of the grave. Joseph became second in command only behind Pharaoh before it was over with. And the Egyptians named him Zerapapaneh, which means Savior of the world. That was the name they gave Joseph. Jo Jesus, obviously, is the Savior of the world. He's second only to the Father. And, and the Father has given him all power. Then the next thing is, Joseph took a, a Gentile bride before the seven years of famine. Jesus is going to take primarily a Gentile bride before the seven years of tribulation. And then Joseph, is going to, Joseph was revealed to his brothers during the seven years of famine. Jesus is going to be revealed to Israel during the middle of the tribulation. They're going to flee to the mountains realize they missed their Messiah. Is anybody feeling this besides me? And so all that is parallel. So the, then Joseph gets restored to his brothers. Jesus gets restored to his brothers. So you have Gentiles and Jews dwelling together. That's the beauty of Joseph. So he says, he says Joseph's going to be a flame, which represents not only Jews but Gentiles. And Jacob's going to be a fire, represents that messianic line. But Esau's going to be like stubble. They shall kindle them, devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Now listen closely to this next verse. 
then I'll take you somewhere else. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau. And the lowland shall possess Philistia. Philistines. Gaza. Edomites. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim, the fields of Samaria. Samaria and Judah is the west gate. Western wall. And then he says... And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. Now hold your spot there. We, it looks like we will finish this book. You can chew on this tomorrow while you're eating turkey. And now you've now you got a good basis, right, in Obadiah. So now when somebody asks you about Obadiah, you can say, yeah, let me tell you something about Obadiah. Now, Malachi, I want to take you to Malachi. Or if you're Italian, it's Malachi. I get it, but Italian prophet. Let's go to Malachi chapter 1, remembering what we just read. Malachi chapter 1 verse 4, he says, Even though Edom had said, there we go, there's Edom again. There's these guys we're talking about in Obadiah. Uh, your Bible is your best commentary. It, the Bible uh, it explains itself. It will define itself. It will interpret itself if you'll stay in there. He says, uh, Even though Edom has said, We have been impoverished, but we will return and build... The desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts. They may build. But I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness. What are they saying about those? what's going on over there? And the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say. The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. Now here, everybody say, this is what the preacher sees. And I've been telling you a little bit of this. It looks to me like Psalm 83 is beginning to play out. As Psalm 83 begins to play out and God starts wiping out some of Israel's enemies, the rest of the world's going to get mad and afraid all at the same time. But a lot of them going to be mad. If this war continues and we wake up six months from now and there's really nothing left of Gaza... That'll be a fulfillment of God's word. But the, most of the world's going to be ticked off about that. And then if this thing spreads like it looks like it's probably going to. Because they keep firing on us too over there. Then the Bible says Damascus is going to be wiped out. And you think the world won't be ticked off about that. Because that's the oldest city that's still around. And then Jordan's going to suffer trouble. And it's going to tick everybody off. But I, what we see in Psalm 83 is God starts doing some supernatural stuff. It's going to be more than guns and airplanes and bombs. Because when this stuff really starts to play out, there's going to be earthquakes, and they're shaking already if you've been keeping up with them. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be other trouble going on that man's not making, but God's doing. And that's why when you get into Ezekiel 38, which is another big war, that those guys are all mad and stirred up, but the Bible says God has to put a hook in their jaw and bring them on down into the Middle East because they're reluctant. Why would they be reluctant? Because they're watching God wipe all of Israel's enemies out and they know how they've treated Israel and it's time for them to pay up too. And then finally you'll see, well we won't see, but you'll have that final battle of Armageddon coming on, you know, after all that. So you, we got all these players. So now we got... All these people who hate Israel and that hatred, Esau and Jacob forgave each other, but that hatred had already got in the line of Esau and those generations just kept hating Israel. 
And that's what we see in the world today. Now, where does that come from? It comes from Satan. He's mad because God's Son destroyed his work. The Bible says Jesus made a show of Satan openly. He's exposed him and death has been wiped out by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the destruction that the devil had planned got destroyed in Jesus Christ and all of us can benefit from it if we will receive Jesus Christ. You're not going to benefit from it if you're going to keep living your life to yourself and taking your chances. And somebody said to me the other day, they said, well, you know, there's a lot of religions that aren't uh, aggressive and, and vehement, they're peaceful. It don't matter. It doesn't matter if they're peaceful or not. Every religion that doesn't have Jesus Christ as its centerpiece will send you straight to hell. It don't matter if they're peaceful or not. That's not the point. The point is there's only one way to get to heaven and that's Jesus Christ. You cannot get to heaven any other way. And I, you may say, well, that religion, they just keep to themselves. Well, they can keep to themselves all the way to hell because that's how it's going to be. You, you, can be, you don't have to be uh, violent to be deceived. The deception is why it, all these peaceful religions, somebody said, well, they're praying for it. It ain't going nowhere. If they're not praying to Jesus Christ, there's only one God. So let's get off this uh, uh, making light of all this. Every religion, I don't care how peaceful it is, if Jesus Christ is not the centerpiece of that religion, it will not work. Somebody give the Lord praise. That's right. Finally, let me close here in Obadiah. Been in here all night. <laughs> Some of these books, it took us over a year. Remember Isaiah? said, The south shall possess the mountains of Esau. The lowland shall possess Philistia. All these fields. And verse 20 says, And the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites, as far as Zarephath, the captains of Jerusalem, who are in Shephrad. Uh, Shephrad shall possess the cities of the south. The saviors, <coughs> saviors shall come in Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Now, God gave them <clears throat> from the river Euphrates all the way over to the coastline. They have far less property than they're going to wind up with. And I, <clears throat> I want to make some things clear to you as I close tonight. Um, the land that Israel's on now is very small compared to what God gave them. And God has the authority to, to shift wealth, shift land, territory, power, We've seen him do that all through history. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar forgot who gave him his power. God took it away from him. Right? And you see that over and over. God took the land from the Canaanites and all those ites in there and gave it to Israel because their sin was horrific. And God said, I'm not letting you stay on my property anymore. See, that's what we've got to remember. It's all God's. And I've said this many times. I've said it a lot lately. You and I only own things horizontally. We don't own anything vertically. This sweater's mine and that army jacket Rob's got on's his. But, but with God, all this belongs to him. It's none of us. Which one of us have anything we didn't receive? None of us. And none of us have made, anything, have made something from nothing. Only God does. So you don't own anything when it comes to God. He owns it all. So God can shift the wealth. 
He can shift the territory. He can give it to whoever he desires. So that's why we see that sometimes. God takes this from this nation and he gives it to this one. And so Job, when Job, we just got through with Job, the wealth of the nations is stored up and going to be given to the righteous. God plundered the Egyptians when the Israelis left out. He gave all their riches to the Israelites as they walked out. Why? Because that jewelry belonged to God. It's all God's. When the game's over, all the stuff goes back into the box and God puts it in his closet, not yours and not mine. So that's what we got to remember. When we, we look at something, we think, here's the other thing. Repentance is the only catch to this. If you repent, you can move all that stuff off of you. But you and I could very well watch God judge something, <clears throat> let's say next week, that he's been waiting to judge for 1,800 years. And we may look at it and say, well, how, well that looks so awful and how bad is that? But you know, those people, and this happened just a few weeks ago, they killed an Israeli woman after they raped her. After they killed her and raped her, they took her into Gaza, drug her down the streets, not the military, but civilians come out and kept stabbing her as they drug her down the streets. They set whole Jewish families down at the table and put their babies in the oven and made them watch them bake their own children. And then they killed the families and then they ate the dinner they had prepared. They got all this on video. They just won't show it to you and I. It's horrific. So we may see God judging something in 2023 that he's been let go since 1515. See, we ain't the judge. And here's the other thing. God doesn't do anything wrong. He's perfect, righteous. He cannot lie. He's perfect. So when he judges... Now, let's just be honest. If I had to come in a house and had the ability and saw somebody trying to cook somebody's baby, I'd have killed them. God didn't kill them. They went back into Gaza. Now, they may be dead now. But God is so much more long-suffering than you and I would be. I wouldn't be as long-suffering as God. I'm telling you right now. I'd probably start hearing Hank Williams Jr. playing in the back of my head. <laughs> right? But God, His mercy is so long-suffering. So when He judges something, I want to say this as loud as I can. I'm not saying to you all because I know you all know better. But I'm telling the world this, whoever's going to listen to me. When God judges something, you better leave Him alone and stay out of it. You better not indict Him or that'll come on your head. You better not be messing around with God and saying, well, that ain't fair. Don't you tell God or indict God that way. You will suffer for that. God is perfect and righteous. And when he judges God's... And listen, God's not favorites any, either because nobody was judged more harshly than his own people, the Jews. So God ain't playing favorites. And he don't pick sides. The Jews rejected the Messiah and they suffered immensely for it. So God is fair. So if he judged his own people, the Gentile world better straighten up because he's coming after us now. And that's what the Bible bears out. So don't sit off here in a haughty chair because you're an American and you've been raised in a civil society and act like God's going too far. I'm going to tell you something. According to the Scripture, we should have all been killed as soon as we broke forth out of the womb. 
If you read anything about the law of the ass in the Old Testament, and you understand that we're all born into sin, that we deserve death, but He gave us life and gave us opportunity for eternal life, we got a good God. We have, and we got a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for your word here in Obadiah. And we are not here to, to find fault with you, God. We're here to stand with your word. We're not here to tell you how to do things. We're just here to come in agreement with you and ask you to lead us by your spirit. Lord, we pray. I pray for Israelis to come to know you as their Lord and Savior, Jesus. I pray for the Palestinians to come to know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray for the Russians, Americans, Chinese, Japanese, people all over the world. Lord, you're the only answer. And may we keep that in our minds that you are the only answer. And you, we are so thankful, Lord, for everything you've given us in this nation. May we be thankful for that tomorrow and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name. Everybody said. Mm-hmm.